Because everyone deserves to experience the joy of a beautiful day at the lake. Because if polar bears thrive, humans will too. Because people and wildlife need fresh air, clean water, and healthy places to live. Today on Because Radio, the Lake Winnipeg Indigenous Collective is working collaboratively to preserve and protect the health of Lake Winnipeg. The Urban Retreats Garden Tour Tea and Craft Sale showcases beautiful gardens in support of St. Matthew's Maryland Community Ministry. We visit the St. Boniface Museum on a road trip. This week's Winnipeg Impact Maker Janelle Malapad is running to trash stigma on Garbage Hill and we'll have a preview of the latest episode of Because and Effect featuring Joan Blight of Strategic Philanthropy. We've got all this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio, episode number eight. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Sonny Primolo is away this week and he'll be back next week. Hope you've had a wonderful time off, Sonny, and look forward to seeing you next week. We have a full show today. We've got lots to cover, as you could tell from the intro. And to start things off, today's foundation feature is focused on environment and animal welfare. Producer Jeremy Morant spoke with Daniel Gladue Canoe, director of the Lake Winnipeg Indigenous Collective, which was founded by 14 First Nations near the shores of Lake Winnipeg to address the environmental challenges of the lake. We'll learn more about how the collective's collaborative approach is helping to ensure the health and sustainability of Lake Winnipeg and its watershed. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on environment and animal welfare. I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm here with director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation Indigenous Collective, Daniel Gladue-Canew. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, welcome. So to start off high level, what is the Lake Winnipeg Indigenous Collective? Of course, it's a reconciliation project of LWF, but tell our listeners uh, all about it. Sure. Yeah, the, the Lake Winnipeg Indigenous Collective uh, formed in 2014. So it started with... Uh, 14 First Nations from around Lake Winnipeg who were concerned about uh, concerned about the lake, uh, its health, uh, and also how, uh, how they were involved in decisions. Uh, many of the people there had, uh, you know, had been part of uh, committees or boards, uh, but they were feeling like they hadn't been heard, that uh, decisions were getting made without them. Um, so they came together to well, to talk about that, to start to set goals for what they wanted as Indigenous people. Um, and and when they, one of the things that came out of that was to develop a collective. Um, and from there, we are trying to build into something that can bring that voice, raise that Indigenous voice um, that is so important to Lake. One that really has made sure that Lake Winnipeg, its fish, uh, you know, plants and medicines from around the area have been healthy for so many well, really thousands of years. Uh, and that's hopefully well, that's something we can continue on. As director of the collective, tell me uh, to you, what does success look like? For the collective, success looks like, uh, well, there's a c- couple different ways to look at it. One is that as Indigenous people, uh, we, while we can continue to live on the lake, um, so this is like a long-term goal, right? But our, uh, our 
you know, our grandparents, uh, our ancestors have lived on this lake f- really since it formed. Um, there's our stories have people who essentially followed the the lake, uh, Lake Agassiz, uh, what it once was. They followed it from beachhead to beachhead as, as it formed and became what we now know as Lake Winnipeg. And so they've always been there. And as people will continue to be there. And we want this lake to be something that we can... Um, live beside, fish out of, you know, swim, drink from. Uh, those are all practices we like to do into the future. So that's one of the long-term goals. I think in the short term, uh, you know, we're, we're living here in, in Manitoba, Indigenous people, uh, Canadians, Manitobans, uh, you know, non-Indigenous people. And we want to find ways that we can do this together, um, that we can start to hear each other um, and really take the best uh, of our worlds, uh, using our science and our traditional knowledge, uh, our tools, and uh, you know, and our collective passion to um, do something good for this lake. What is something that you wish, if you had a magic microphone that was attached to the ears of every resident of the Lake Winnipeg area, or perhaps people from the city who own cabins and cottages in the area? What's something that you wish you could tell all of them with your magic microphone? Well, one thing I, I would tell everyone and and I want to share with everyone is that that Lake Winnipeg is a a big beautiful lake it's something that uh, I think we we all cherish and and we share Uh, this is a lake that we share with uh, um, with each other certainly but also our fish our plants birds um, plant uh, medicines you know there's moose and muskrat and all kinds of things that that use this lake, continue to use this lake, um, and we're protecting it for each other. Um, and so I, and I just want to encourage people to, to remember that and treat it with the respect it deserves. So as uh, the director of the uh, Lake Winnipeg Indigenous Collective, reconciliation is, of course, at the center of that. So what does reconciliation mean to you? Well, I, I've spoken a lot about how we, you know, we're sharing this this beautiful lake and, and, and we can work together. Um, but I wanted to talk to wh- one of the things about reconciliation that I think is really important to remember is is that um, it's about it's about understanding and you know an understanding of each other, um, but also seeing some of the history of where things have come from. And and when we think about uh, conservation and protection of water or or the land, um, there there is a long history here in Canada that. Uh, you know, it's something we want to be careful about, that areas have often been protected um, at the exclusion of Indigenous people. Um, so parks were formed and people were moved. Um, lakes and water and laws were formed that didn't allow Indigenous people to pr- practice there. And it's been nice to see and really great to see that uh, recognition in that Indigenous people are on the land and have continue to live on the land as uh, parks are formed that they continue to live in and they continue to uh, practice their treaty, uh, their inherent treaty rights. Um, So it's something that as we move into reconciliation, it's that recognition that uh, Indigenous people will continue to be on the land. So by conserving it, we're also uh, helping to protect both uh, a rich history of people as well as that, uh, that ecosystem. So for our listeners out there, if they'd like to learn more about the collective, uh, do, dig a little deeper, do some more research, uh, where would you tell them to go? What would you direct them to do? Well, uh, the collective is, uh, we have a website, uh, www.lwic.org. 
we also have a Facebook page, and we keep it fairly regularly updated with uh, different events. Um, uh, we are we're trying to be present at uh, events around the lake and around the watershed with uh, uh, Indigenous groups and, uh, and, and non-Indigenous groups, too, uh, trying to share this message and start to find ways that we can work together. Daniel Gladue Canoe, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. For Because Radio, I'm Jeremy Morantz. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, we'll learn all about the Urban Retreats Garden Tour Tea and Craft Sale happening on Saturday, June 22nd. Organizer Shirley Godkin will be joining me in studio to tell us all about what people can see on the tour and about the important cause the tour supports. Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined in studio by Shirley Godkin. She is the organizer of the Urban Retreats Garden Tour Tea and Craft Sale that's happening on Saturday, June 22nd. Shirley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So give us an overview about the Urban Retreats Garden Tour Tea and Craft Sale. As the name implies, there's a lot going on that morning and afternoon. Tell us about a few of the things that people can expect. It is a self-guided tour. You can visit the gardens in any order you like. And also included are two 40-minute edible weed walks with Joel Penner, who is a leader of interpretive plant walks, and those happen at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock. Your admission ticket includes a brief description of each of the gardens and a map of the garden locations. And it's in um, support of St. Matthew's Maryland Community Ministry. And our title sponsor this year is Royal LePage Dynamic Real Estate, and the gold sponsor is Wawanisa Insurance. Okay, so tell us a little bit about what people might see on the edible weed walks. Joel tries to let people see that they're in the diversity of the growing plants, weeds, etc., that there is um, benefits in some of them. Like maybe, say, dandelions, you can actually do things with dandelions, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, so. So this is the 20th anniversary of the Urban Retreats Garden Tour. And I understand this this year it's in River Heights. In the past, it's been in Riverview. It kind of goes from place to place to place. Tell us about how you choose the locations for the, uh, for the garden tours. Sometimes we have uh, somebody that knows of good gardens in an area and uh, that, and that's one way of doing it. And we actually choose the gardens. We like to have 12 or 14 gardens in a fairly small area, so it's kind of walkable or bikeable, and also that people get a feel for the neighborhood while they're touring around. The garden selection for the next year's tour takes place in June of the previous year because the gardens have to look nice at that time of the year. And sometimes we find gardens through uh, referral or word of mouth, but oftentimes the person choosing the gardens just walks the streets, sees a nice garden, approaches the homeowner and asks if they would consider putting their garden in the tour. Oh, cool. So you're already scouting for next year's garden. We are. We actually know where next year's going to be already. Okay. We'll keep it a surprise. All right. So if any of our listeners are thinking that maybe their area, their neighborhood might be a a good spot for a future urban retreats garden tour, you've got about a year to plan ahead, I guess, at this point. That's right. Yes. All right. So tell us about some of the highlights that people can see this year in River Heights. Okay. Well, we've got an English style cottage and garden with a Douglas Walker sculpture fountain a bonsai, black pine, and wisteria, and we also have an organic garden surrounding a seven-century-old home, and we have Phil's Art Gallery, whose sculptures are a point of interest on the Winnipeg tourist trolley bus. 
as part of the event, there's also opportunities for people. I'd imagine this is the kind of event that brings out people who want to be inspired and get some ideas for their own gardens. And part of the day's programming includes a Ask a Master Gardener and a Master Composter uh, component. Tell us a little bit about that. This year, the uh, Master um, Gardener is going to focus on how you can recycle the pots and the various different materials that you would get your plants in from the greenhouses or whatever and give people pointers on how the best way is to recycle and what you can do with that kind of thing. And also then there's um, Colleen Zacharias is going to be representing Trees Manitoba as well. So that's going to be an interesting part. And you can ask the master gardener and the master composter your questions. They are going to be at the Westworth United Church at the tea site from 11 till 2. Also, in conjunction with that, there will be a plant sale, and there'll be door prizes, tea, bannock, and jam, and a gift bag to the first 150 in attendance, sponsored by Riverwood Square Retirement Living. Tell us about some of the crafts that'll be on offer, what people can expect there. The craft sale is sponsored by Sigurdsson Financial Group, and the tea is actually sponsored by Brad Nance of Royal LePage Prime Real Estate. Now, at the craft sale, we've got over 20 artisans selling bags, trivets, wooden boxes, sun catchers, birdhouses, jewelry, cards, pottery, stained glass, and original works of art. So there's going to be something that's going to be there for everyone. So the tickets for the tea and the craft sale are an additional $5, and they're available at the door at Westworth United Church the day of the tea. Going back to the garden tour, how exactly does that work? Do people just show up at the site, or is it more of a self-guided thing? How does that work? Okay, well, it is a self-guided tour. You purchase your ticket in advance, although tickets will be available the morning of starting at 9.30 at Westworth United Church. I could tell you now, I guess, where you should get your tickets. They cost $15, and they're available at McNally Robinson Bookseller. Lacoste Garden Centre, Ron Paul's Garden Centre, Jensen's Nursery and Garden Centre, St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Centre, Shelmerdine's Garden Centre, and at the church. And the tickets for the tea and the craft sale are an additional uh, $5. And basically, you, with your ticket, your ticket includes a little description of the gardens and a map. And we also have a nice flower stake at each garden so you can help to pinpoint where they are when you're walking down the street. Of course, this event is a fundraiser raising funds for St. Matthew's Maryland Community Ministry. Tell us about why it was important that the event support St. Matthew's Maryland. Tell us a little bit about what they do. St. Matthew's Maryland Community Ministry has been serving its neighbors in the West End for almost 45 years. And they provide a safe, comfortable, and accepting home away from home. Folks from the area form the base of the volunteer pool who serve meals, run a food bank, staff the drop-in, support small group programs, large community events, and care for one another day in and day out. And staff provides administrative leadership for it all to work and the support the volunteers and the hundreds of guests who come through the ministry each week. Now the funds raised by the tour are an important part of the budget for St. Matthews, Maryland. With the decreased capacity of the churches to support the work, St. Matthews, Maryland, as a member of One Just City, is diversifying and expanding funding sources and inviting the wider public to support the vital work we do on behalf of all of us in the city. So if any of our listeners are interested in going on the Urban Retreats Garden Tour on Saturday, June 22nd, um, the tour takes place from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Admission is $15 and available at, uh, at any of the locations 
that Shirley mentioned earlier on. And then there's also the tea and craft sale that takes place at Westworth United Church, 1750 Grosvenor, and that is the same day, 11 to 2 p.m., and admission is an additional $5. Shirley, we're just about out of time, but is there anything else you'd like to add about the uh, Urban Retreats Garden Tour this year? Well, it's a great tour. Come out and enjoy it. And I, d- I should mention, too, the tour goes on rain or shine. But touch wood, we've always had shine, and I think the forecast looks good. If people want a little bit more in- information about it, they can visit the ministry's website at stmatthewsmaryland.ca and get a few more details there. Perfect. So we hope for great weather on June 22nd. Again, that's the Urban Retreats Garden Tour Tea and Craft Sale. Shirley, thank you so much for joining me today and speaking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Shirley Godkin for speaking with me. Coming up next on Because Radio, we'll be going west from last week's visit in Transcona to visit Winnipeg's oldest building. It's the building that now houses the St. Boniface Museum, and we'll learn about it, as well as the thousands of artifacts it's home to, on this week's road trip. Welcome to the Because Radio Road Trip. Today, we're visiting the St. Boniface Museum. Let's go. I'm Jeremy Morantz. I'm here in the St. Boniface Museum right now with Vanya Gagnon, the director of the museum. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, Thanks for being here. One thing I mentioned um, uh, off mic is as soon as you walk into the museum, it feels like you're being transported back in time. I'm sure you hear that all the time. So uh, can you talk about why this museum is referred to as the lived-in museum? I'm very happy that you brought it up because I don't, haven't heard anybody come up to me and say that in a little while. And every time I hear it, it's like, oh, yes, it really is a lived-in museum. And the reason that we say that is because this was uh, the Grey Nuns Convent. And of course, convents, uh, especially this one, which was the first one in the entire Northwest, they were the first congregation of religious women who came out here uh, to do work. Um, This one was a multi-purpose building for well over 100 years. And so aside from obviously being the Grey Nuns' home, uh, it was really a hospitality center. Uh, They started taking inpatients here uh, from the get-go as soon as they could. Uh, the convent was also an orphanage. Uh, there are over 7,000 children who lived here uh, in this space. Uh, they also began um, taking in the elderly. So it was a, a senior's home or hospice also. And so it actually really, in fact, has been lived in. Uh, and, and that feeling that you get, uh, most visitors who come here do uh, comment on that. They, they feel that warmth. They feel the authenticity. You can still see the original construction um, and so our exhibits are sort of fitted into the space that was always used but yeah this was a home and uh, we're so happy that people can still come and visit. 
And it's striking how well the building itself has been preserved. So I, I'm wondering like what, what tactics you guys use to make sure that this, this building doesn't fall apart. Because again, it really does feel like it's, it's the same building that it always has been. What's interesting with the building that what we have now is actually the original size um, of the convent. Over the years, the Grey Nuns um, added annexes and like double, two level annexes and corridors and ways to reach the next buildings as their their um, their work grew. Uh, but we were back to the original size and a lot of work was done in the 50s and 60s to get this place ready to open as a public space. So get it up to code and, and increase access. Um, but we always feel, and we're a museum with a, a collection of about 30,000 objects. But for us, really, it's the building that is um, our probably most beloved, but also most demanding artifact. Um, it has uh, historic designations at all levels, so municipal, provincial, and federal. Uh, and so when there are significant works that need to happen to maintain its integrity, typically the three levels of government will come together and ensure that it's done properly and that it's funded. Um, but on a, a daily basis, it, it is definitely the building that takes up a lot of our time and energy. And people might not realize, but it's the largest oak log structure in North America. Uh, and uh, quite the undertaking to construct it back in 1846. In fact, it took five years to complete it, and the nuns uh, lived in here and worked out of here when, when the upper levels were still in scaffolding and all that. But um, because it is a wood structure, humidity is always a concern for us, so we do need to keep this building at a certain humidity level. Um, and sometimes because we also have objects and artifacts in here, the humidity levels that the building needs uh, to be healthy uh, is in competition with the types of objects that we have in here. So we need to take some objects out every once in a while and give them a, a breather because uh, the humidity is, is not good for, let's say, uh, paper or or textiles uh, as much as it is for the building. That's interesting. I like the way you phrased it. The, the building itself is an artifact. And I do want to ask you about the, some of the artifacts actually within the building itself. But uh, first, I know you have all kinds of events and programs and uh, it's nonstop here. Currently, there's a play in production uh, in Riel's Footsteps. Can you talk to us about uh, what that play is? Sure. Well, In Real's Footsteps is sort of a, a really, probably the funnest little history lesson you'll ever uh, have in your life. It's a lighthearted take on uh, the history of the creation of our province, and it's actually completely bilingual. So you, you come to the museum and you get to meet your teacher, uh, Miss Angélique Nolin. And Angélique is, of course, a really important character in, in, or person in our history because she and her sister were the first instructors here at Red River, uh, predating the Grey Nuns by decades. Uh, so Angélique Nolin, uh, our version of her, uh, brings you along through the cemetery and we've got other characters that pop up here and there behind trees from behind tombstones and what we try to do is well we tell the story of the creation of the province uh, by stopping at some of the illustrious characters tombstones but in a light-hearted funny contemporary there's music in there uh, it's it's a great outdoor activity uh, and um, you get to visit the museum and learn 
learn about the cemetery and the cathedral all at once. It's really cool how you guys, you really do bring history to life here and it helps being in an environment that really feels like like you're there. So uh, what are some of the uh, artifacts or uh, you know historical memorabilia that exists here in the museum that you think uh, would really uh, draw people's interest? Well, there are so many great things that we have in this museum. We've got about, well, we've got nine permanent exhibits. Um, all of our themes have to do with French Canadian and Métis history. Um, I would definitely say that the biggest draw for tourists and um, local community alike is our collection of objects uh, that belong to Louis Riel or that had, uh, you know, a, a link to the other people who... Um, uh, worked and lived with Riel. Uh, it's it's definitely the exhibit where we see uh, the visitors are, are spending a lot of time in. Uh, for for some people, it's almost a pilgrimage for them to come and be amongst those objects. So we are very proud and and take the job of caring for um, that part of our history really seriously and it, it makes us very happy to be able to share that year round but we also have you know great objects we have the saber that Jean-Baptiste Lachimotier was given uh, by Lord Selkirk as a, a thank you for making that trek on foot from here to Montreal over winter uh, we've got uh, you know the envelope or it's more like a, a leather little pouch or satchel, I guess you could call it, uh, that he took those papers in. Uh, we've got beautiful examples of, of beadwork uh, that was done by uh, some of the bigger members of the bigger Métis families. Uh, we have a whole exhibit on the cathedral uh, and um, the objects that were damaged in the fire in 1968. And that's a huge, really important uh, event in our community history is when, when the cathedral burnt down. Uh, you know... We have a country kitchen set up upstairs, and that's always fun, especially for children who, uh, you know, haven't grown up on farms, or maybe nowadays farms are getting rarer and rarer. The family farms are disappearing, so it's nice to explain how much more connected people used to be to their food source. And for older people, they come in that exhibit and they remember, they remember their own youths on the farm or uh, being at grandma and grandpa's place when they were growing up. So we're, uh, you know, there's something for everybody. We also have. Uh, a replica of a 1920s townhouse in St. Boniface of a more of an upper middle class uh, type of family. So beautiful things like uh, actual chandeliers, uh, silverware, beautiful piano, uh, a gramophone, you know, all those types of things that we associate with the 1920s. We've got a whole room of that too. Can you tell us... Uh about the the Manitoba Heritage Trust program, and uh, you guys, of course, are part of that program. What does what does it mean to you? Well, we were very happy with the opportunity of opening uh, a fund with that program. The Friends of the Saint Boniface Museum uh, exist to support some very specific areas of the work that we do at the museum, uh, and. You know, having a trust and being able to, uh, when they pull from that trust, is going to help us to be able to uh, provide great uh, restorative conservation work to some of the objects in our collection. Um, 
you know, that back end kind of work that happens in museums, uh, most of the public don't uh, necessarily have an opportunity to see uh, how long it takes to um, accept an object, to uh, prepare it for storage or prepare it for exhibit. Everything needs to be cleaned properly and very delicately. And so experts need to be brought in to do that work. And uh, you know, even just the time it takes to create a perfect box for that object uh, to be properly cared for and brought to storage or to be put on display. So, um, you know, that fund is going to help us with that back-end work that nobody sees, but it's also going to allow us to uh, fund some of that fantastic programming that uh, we just talked about, like in Riel's footsteps, uh, or those days where we on purpose provide free access to the community uh, it's really important to the museum to be able to have those uh, celebratory days that we are known for, such as uh, Riel Day, Manitoba Day. We do Doors Open Winnipeg. We always have a fantastic event on Canada Day. Uh, we do Culture Days in Nuit Blanche as well. We have Noël au Musée, which is a beautiful Christmas event that happens at the end of November every year with a local crafters market. So all of these events that we like to open our doors and encourage Winnipeggers to, to come and access the museum for free, uh, that, that program or that trust program is we're going to be able to tap in there and make sure that we can keep doing those things for the community. So if listeners out there uh, want to come by, uh, they want to learn more, where, where would you direct them and what would you tell them to do? Well, if they're not familiar with where the museum is located, we are uh, right on the banks of the Red River, on, on uh, the other side of Taché Avenue, of course, between the St. Boniface Hospital and the cathedral. Uh, I think people are sometimes um, not upset, but maybe just a little frustrated that we don't have a parking lot. That's always something to keep in mind. So we like to tell people to take a, a nice historic stroll down uh, Taché Avenue and make their way to the museum. It's worth a little walk. You can park beside the cathedral and walk over or on Depain Street, which is just south of us, and, and make your way up. If you are uh, somebody who needs some assistance or have reduced mobility, in that case, I would say give us a call beforehand hand or send us an email uh, you know if you google us online you'll find our 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 email address but our phone number is 237-4500 and then we can make arrangements because we do have a fire lane at the back that we can use temporarily for somebody who who can be um, just to be dropped off and picked up St. Boniface Museum you got to check it out Vanya thank you so much for talking to me today mm, you're more than welcome and if you've got a, an hour or two to uh, uh, that you don't know what to do with in the summertime, please do come down and visit us. We've got great programming every day. Thanks for joining us on the Because Radio Road Trip. We'll see you next week, same time, different place. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next, my co-host Sunny Primolo has been highlighting impact makers in our community as part of our Winnipeg Impact Makers segment. And this week, he's joined by Janelle Malapad to find out how he's raising funds to support programs at the Canadian Mental Health Association. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sunny Primolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. 
This week, I'm with Junel Malapad, founder of Taking Stigma to the Trash, a fundraising event being held on June 21st for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Thanks for coming on Because Radio. Thanks for having me, Sonny. We'll get to the event in a bit, but first, give us a little background behind Janelle, the person. I'm just a regular guy. I have a job uh, for Winnipeg School Division Number 1. I'm a caretaker in a school. been working for almost 25 years. Um, I have two grown kids, two daughters, and I started running about 12 years ago, more for health reasons. Yeah. Working in the education system, you must see a lot of what the youth are experiencing. What are some common misconceptions people have about youth and mental health? Well, you know, I I believe um, some misconceptions would be if you have a mental health illness, it's you're going to be a bad person. You know, that's part of the stigma that we need to fix. People who have a mental health issue don't want to be in that situation. And a mental health issue could happen to anybody. So, like, uh, another misconception is probably, like, they feel maybe kids are just getting back at society or something like that. I don't know, so things that are happening. But it, it could be an underlying factor of what's happening in their own life. You know, the, like, a mental health issue is something that, that's tricky to diagnose, and it's good to, to have somebody to, uh, to figure that out for you. What was your because moment? Like, what is it that made you want to start an initiative like this? What made you want to give back? About four years ago, my daughter, she came home uh, very distraught about something that happened in her school. St- two students died by suicide. And so that uh, created, um, it, it, was, it was hard, hard on the community, the school, the neighborhood, and, and all families uh, that were involved. And um, so as a parent, I really didn't know what to do if my own child was so sad that she wanted to uh, die by suicide. So I learned that there's uh, organizations like Canadian Mental Health Association. They facilitate programs in school that, that, that target grade 7 to 9 students who uh, could be in a situation where they w- would find themselves um, in, a, in a rough point of their life. So I felt that... Um, Canadian Mental Health Association and that program could could use some uh, extra help and funding uh, to help out the students and the parents and the community. And I feel that education is uh, very important for everybody to understand what mental health issues is all about. So that way that uh, everybody else just grows from the, the learning of the reasons why. What's the goal and where will the proceeds of the event go? Uh, well, you know, the, the biggest factor of the goal is actually just uh, starting the conversation, uh, getting people to talk about their whatever's happening in their life. And, and uh, you know, once a person could open up, then they could uh, open the doors for themselves and meet the people who could help them. So in, uh, in order to, to get help, though, you need the proper help from people who know what they're doing. So the funds w- would go to Canadian Mental Health Association and their programs that they facilitate in schools. So one of the programs, it used to be called Mile 5 Mental Illness Literacy Education in five days. Now it's called Speak Up, where uh, uh, students from grade 7 to 9 would uh, learn about mental health and uh, ways to reducing the stigma and, and mental health literacy. And another uh, program that Canadian Mental Health Association uh, is part of is called Futures Forward. Futures Forward helps people who are coming out of uh, child and family services. You know, when you turn 18, you're pretty much left out there to fend for yourself. And uh, life is tough if you don't have anybody to to figure out uh, the way you need to go. So, yeah, so th- that Futures Forward helps people navigate where they need to go if they have a mental illness and 
They have specialized people that uh, could help them out in ways of um, mental help or, you know, they need funds for just regular things. Maybe they need to, uh, some even bus fare to get to an interview or something. Absolutely. Some great initiatives that you're supporting with this event, taking stigma to the trash. So let's talk about the event. Uh, what is the event comprised of? Like, can you tell people about what to expect? Four years ago, what I what happened was I wanted to do something for the community. And I had told my friends, uh, my runner friends, that let's go up on the hill. I want to raise some money for Canadian Mental Health Association. And it basically started out as, hey, I'm going to run 45 uh, kilometers up and down Garbage Hill. So, and the reason 45 is because it was my birthday that, that year and I've been running my age ever since. So um, so the next year I ran 100 kilometers uh, in 16 hours and, and friends and family came out and, and helped out. And uh, the, re- the way they helped out is they, they joined, uh, they did their own running or walking or supporting that way. And we had a little bit of a potluck and uh, we, hydrated and bad nutrition that people just brought so this year anyways it's, it's grown to be something a little bit bigger last year was quite special we had some boot camps happening and some yoga and and um in conjunction with the the running last year we we myself i ran 150 miles in 30 hours to uh to, to help out with the cause and i and invite people to join me for the whole mileage or some of it or walking um so this year you could probably expect that uh, th- I'll be running 12 hours and uh, I have about five friends who are doing the same thing and some people are, are doing their own mileage, walking, even uh, I have a friend, some fr- a friend in a wheelchair that does her mileage every year. There'll be uh, some food up on the hill, there'll be yoga happening. It's International Yoga Days actually, so we're going to have uh, some yoga happening on the hill and some boot camps and uh, people can donate uh, to participate in those those types of things that we're, uh, we're having on the hill. And then maybe stay for after a little while longer just to, uh, to wrap it up, have a little bit of a celebration of what happened while we were on the hill. Sounds amazing. So for those looking to get involved or would like to learn more, where can they go to get more information? Uh, well, you could go to a Canadian Mental Health Association uh, website uh, and find the link for Trash Stigma, and then all the information will be there. And is there anything else that you would like to add? Just like to add that um, you could you could hashtag it trash stigma. You could find uh, what's happening through uh, Facebook page trash stigma also, or find me on on Instagram or Facebook Juno Malapad. In conjunction with uh, what's happening on the hill, I'm actually will be selling some hats and shirts, and and um, the proceeds of those items will go directly to Canadian Mental Health Association. Thank you. Thanks, Janelle. So once again, show your support. Check out Taking Stigma to the Trash on Friday, June 21st. Lace up your runners or see Janelle and others in action as they run 100 kilometers or more up and down Garbage Hill for mental health awareness from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you or anyone you know is making an impact in our city, message us on social media by searching the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN or reach out and call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474. 474 extension 360. We'd love to hear about it. This is Sunny Promolo and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Sunny. Coming up next, Nolan Bicknell will join us to share a preview of the latest episode of Because and Effect with Joan Blight, President and Managing Consultant of Strategic Philanthropy. 
Welcome back to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Nolan Vignall. He is the host of Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation with new episodes every Tuesday. Nolan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Great to be here. So you're now on episode number eight with uh, Joan Blight, who is the founder, president, and managing consultant at Strategic Philanthropy. Um, Tell us a little bit about your conversation with Joan. Sure. Yeah, she was awesome. Um, Joan was kind of the motivation behind this podcast. We interviewed her on uh, the previous iteration of the radio show. um, And I just kept thinking as we were chatting with her, because, you know, most of the interviews are about 10 minutes long. And I just kept thinking, I wish I had longer to talk to to this person and learn a little bit more about sort of where she come from and and what motivates her to, to care so much about giving back to Winnipeg. And uh, so that was sort of the kickoff point for because, or because and Effect, the podcast. And I told her that, and it was she was very, she kind of laughed and said, well, she was happy to be the inspiration for it. But um, just on that note, we kind of talked about her humble beginnings. Um, she kind of gained that care for Winnipeg and caring for her community in the church, as people often do. And, and that's where she learned the importance of giving back. Well, while I didn't know it at the time, it really started when I was a child attending Sunday school. Every week we gave in the church that I was raised in money to help local needs as well as international development in terms of, we called it mission and service, but we always knew that we were helping underprivileged people. Mm-hmm. And one of the other events at the church that I, it just came to me, you know, quite um, viscerally when I was thinking about this was every year we celebrated White White Gift Sunday, which was a day in December, and we all brought gifts wrapped in white tissue paper. They were all designed to help families living in northern Manitoba. So you've had the chance to interview Joan on River City 360 before, um, and you mentioned that you know, your conversation with her then was part of the motivation to create this podcast and uh, and learn more about people's inspiration behind why they give back. Was there a story that you wanted to share uh, that that Joan shared with you that uh, relates to that that theme? Yeah, absolutely. She she told a lot of great stories about growing up and and sort of the origins of her of her um, philanthropic nature. Uh, but she told a really great story that that kind of it speaks a lot to her character and shows that she's willing to work hard to accomplish pretty much anything. Um, She told, uh, I think it was back in grade eight where she basically, her and a friend basically set up their own film festival because the the town that she grew up in didn't have one. It's a great story. But in a small community, 500, like we didn't have a a movie theater, for example. And so I remember when I was in grade eight, my cousin and I decided we wanted to show some films and we wrote to the national film board we had to then raise some money because we had to send the money first. That they they would send us, and this was all done through the mail. Like there was no email in those days or <laughs> Not anything like at that. Somebody for that, yeah, no. No, um, but we organized that because we wanted to have that experience, mm-hmm. and so we did it through the school. And we had, uh, I don't know, three or four films shown one winter in the school auditorium. That's we, so cool. We made popcorn because there weren't facilities at the school for that, but but we wanted to replicate that experience. That's amazing. And Joan has worked in philanthropy for many, many years. Was there anything that stuck out to you as memorable regarding, you know, working in the philanthropic sector? Yeah, Joan has had a, a 
30-year career working in the philanthropic sector and helping nonprofits and, and charities with their work. And I loved her answer when it came to when I asked her what the best part of working in the sector was. Throughout my fundraising career and then latterly as a consultant where sometimes I've operated as a staff person or a contract staff with an organization or I've been consulting to an organization or in some cases working directly with donors is is when you see that desire of people who want to give back and then the, the magic in it is about matching their interests with what the community needs are you know at any given point in time and um Lots of people want to give, and I, mm-hmm. I promote the joy in giving. It's not about arm twisting and mm-hmm. whatever. It's about, and of course for everybody, it's one of the biggest motivators, seeing the difference that yeah. your gift makes. Joan has worked all across Canada and even with some companies based in the United States. How did those experiences help to shape her career? We talked about that, and obviously it's great experience to be able to work in different markets with different people and different um, donor groups, uh, but with specifically pertaining to sort of how Winnipeg was different to Calgary and to Toronto and to the States. Uh, I loved what Joan said about that. Well, Winnipeg has a very broad-based economic base, Mm. for one thing, for Mm -hmm. starters. We're not a city with a lot of head offices, uh, and we're a city that's rich in terms of different industries, whether it's manufacturing or transportation. It's not just the oil industry or just Hollywood or whatever. So there is a real difference in that. So Joan is the founder of Strategic Philanthropy, and... I would imagine a lot of the conversation was about the philanthropic sector and, and giving back. Indeed. But let's focus a little bit on the uh, the strategic portion of the word. Was there anything in terms of the strategic side that she shared? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had a great line. Um, she said, data drives strategy, meaning uh, basically that to be strategic, you have to have the data to back it up. And I loved what Joan said about that. The kind of strategic planning I do is is based on analysis and mm-hmm. evaluation. It always involves numbers. Mm-hmm. Data drives strategy, and a lot of people don't really understand that. Or believe it. Yeah. yeah. And so in terms of all your, your revenue, your expenditures, and, and all of those kinds of things, and then what are some of the, the options? So I, I think strategic planning is one. There's no question um, around fund development helping, depending, and sometimes people don't even really know what they need. Mm-hmm. And so our listeners can hear the full conversation with Joan Blight at becauseandeffect.org. But was there one final takeaway that you wanted to leave us with from your conversation with Joan? Sure. So with the pedigree and the career that Joan has had, like I mentioned, nearly three decades, um, I asked her why she decided to return to Winnipeg and continue working to make our city better because she really could work anywhere in the world. Here's what she said. Oh, I love Winnipeg. I love Manitoba. Manitoba's home. Manitoba's home, and, and Winnipeg's a wonderful community. It's, um, it's so easy to be engaged here, and it's so creative, and there's so many innovative things, you know, that are hap- happening in town, and uh, the sense of community is mm-hmm. something that's very important to me, and I don't think I'd realized how important that was until I left Winnipeg. So that's eight fantastic conversations now that are part of Because and Effect. And of course, you can hear the full conversation at becauseandeffect.org. Again, that is becauseandeffect.org. And you can also find Because and Effect on whichever podcast, uh, whichever podcast player you use, Spotify, Google, Apple, doesn't matter. You should be able to find Because and Effect there. Um, And be sure to give the episodes a listen. 
Nolan Bicknell is the host of Because and Effect, a weekly podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation with new episodes every Tuesday. Nolan, thank you so much again for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Really appreciate it. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you so much to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. If you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or you can also email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Robert Zirk signing off for Because Radio. On behalf of my co-host Sonny Primolo, thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. <laughs>